Hey guys, and welcome to the Nashville for Nobodies podcast. I am your host, Bobby Gordon, along with my co-host, Kyle Thurkey, and we're going to be talking about the Nashville music scene and the ins and outs of Lower Broadway and a bunch of other random stuff that comes to mind. So if you're thinking about Nashville or new to Nashville and want to wrap your head around what's going on, this might be a great place to start. Take a listen. What's up, everybody? It's Kyle Thurkey with Nashville for Nobodies alongside... Bobby Gordon here again, and we have another brand new guest on the show. Tristan, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, guys. How y'all? It's great to have another drummer. We've had (laughs) singers and bassists lately, and not a drummer in a minute. Yeah, we we haven't had a drummer in a while, so I'm I'm excited for this episode. Uh, to get to hear y'all's side of everything but we got tristan atwood he's a a great buddy of mine and a drummer in town he's absolutely phenomenal um you definitely need to check him out you're gonna hear his story here in the next little while uh tristan go ahead introduce yourself tell everybody who you are where you're from what the hell you do man all right my name is tristan atwood i was actually born and raised in nashville a true unicorn believe it or not you know just uh, grew up in the music business with my dad, who's played on the Opry for 38 years, Mr. Tim Atwood, and you know, just grew up around the business. Decided to become a drummer, and here I am doing what I do. So, you said you decided to become a drummer. That that was something you wanted to do. You got thrown into. How did you become a drummer? Well, we're gonna have that. Like, is it a choice debate? <laughs> no, I just want to know. Like, well, like how, you know, how'd you become the? How'd you become a drummer? Was it something you sought after? Or? It's amazing, man. My dad, due to all these club gigs and stuff, and he done all these different things with different drummers. And I just used to sit back and just watch the drummers and just go, "Man, that is so cool." Mm-hmm. And when I was like twelve years old, my dad took me down to Tusculum Music, which I don't even know if it exists anymore over here in Antioch, but took me over there, bought me my first set of drums. And there was a brand new set of pearls there that were great. And he goes, you want those? And I went, no, I want these ones over here because they're baby blue. And it was a CB 500 <laughs> bottom of the line, you know, yeah. no bottom heads, no nothing. And I, that's what I learned on. But man, it was just so cool to sit back and watch drummers, how they move, how they lead a band, how they can make different um, sounds with what they have. And I've always been creative in my mind. So that's why I became a drummer because I love the creativity that drums give me. You know, turning a snare off, making it sound like a gaga. You know, you know. Dude, all the little things that you do, there's always something you do every time I play with you that I just turn and look and I'm like, hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things. You, what we do for a living down there on Broadway or wherever we're playing, we want to make it fun, not just for us, but for everybody else on the stage. You know, you just yes. want to be, you just want to have a good time. You want to make a little money in the process. If sometimes very little money, sometimes very little, money. you know, but it's just one of those things, man. We got to do what we got to do to survive and try to get by and entertain ourselves sometimes, you know, yeah. when you work on a Tuesday morning, there could be two people come in and you and the band are just entertaining yourself. So why not try something different to be creative and come up with something new, maybe a different arrangement of a song. Try songs you've never played before. Exactly. You know, it's like yep. there's something you've always wanted to try and you just, you don't know how the band's going to respond to it or whatever. Well, you got zero to five people. That's the time to do it. Oh yeah. <laughs> why not? I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, as I've heard on past of y'all's podcast that there's a lot of times that people will just come up with a lot of money and we're thrown into the fire. Like, Give me two seconds. We'll listen to it. We'll learn it. We'll go back and knock it out. Yep. 
I mean, that's part of the, being what we do. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to think on the fly. You got to be able to learn something within seconds, not even minutes, seconds. Listen to the intro and go. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what happens in between happens in between. As long as we start together and end together, I'm fine. I can't tell you how many times. Exactly. We can all fudge in just a little bit. I I I can't tell you how many times people have told me that, hey, if we start together, we end together, it doesn't matter what happens in between. (laughs) So But yeah. So that's how I became a drummer was just wanting to be creative. Hell yeah. So you've been here your whole life and that's something that I'm really excited to talk to you about is because I've only seen Nashville for the past ten years of what it's been. And when I came here, it was from Fifth Avenue down to Second, and then all the way up Second, you had oh, yeah. bars and stuff. So it was already going in the state that that it's currently in. Like it, there weren't rooftop bars when I came here. At least I don't think there were. I think Honky Tonk Central was the biggest one with mm. three stories. Um, it was once the city started growing, that's when the rooftop bars came out and then everybody added a second floor and a rooftop. And then you had all the big artist names oh, come yeah. in, but you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago and you're like, yeah, I remember when it was just fifth to fourth. Oh yeah. It was just, it was just between fifth Avenue and fourth Avenue. There was maybe, maybe six clubs, seven clubs at most. I mean, I know you had legends. The stage had just opened up when I started down there. Um, Second Fiddle had just opened up, and the stage was in the back of the bar rather than up in the window. Um, There was Tootsie's, of course. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Then there was uh, The Wheel, uh, Wolfie's, and Rippy's had just opened up. So, I mean, there was very few clubs down there whenever I first started playing down there. But when I first started playing down there, it was the who's who of musicians. So, I mean, it was like one of those things you had to be known by these guys to get in and do what you got to do. Where now, you know, we have the internet where we can get on gig finders and stuff like that and, you know, throw ourselves out there. And there's enough stages that it can accommodate way more musicians. And back then, they didn't even run a 10 10 a.m. till 2.30 in the morning. They ran from a 2 p.m. till till 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, okay. It was just a 12-hour span. And I remember being 16, 17 years old, playing in the back room of Tootsie's. You know, back then, you know, we the kits that we have to play there are not the best. No. You know, no. and I'm, I'm pretty sure every drummer that's ever played at Tootsie's would agree. They're getting a little bit better. Sometimes, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, you know, depending on, you know, who's got before you and that kind of stuff. But um, I think we've all had those. We walk in and one of the stands is duct taped together. Oh, yeah. And it's like, uh, just don't touch it. Yeah, just leave it where it's at and go with it. Crash well, back then I was the guy. Here. I was the guy that would bring my entire drum kit. You oh, know, 16, man. 17 years old, I would pull in the alley of the rhyme and drop my gear off in the back. I'd set it up because at that time I was actually playing from two in the afternoon till two in the morning on Fridays and Saturdays in the back room with different artists. And uh, okay, that makes a little bit more. So sense. I, yeah, I'd actually bring my entire drum kit, set it up, leave it for two days, tear it down on Saturday night, and take it home. Yeah, that's not bad at all. But the older I got, you know, I'm 39 now. I'm going, the least amount of stuff that I got to bring is the mm-hmm. better amount of stuff that yeah. I got to bring. You know, it's so easy. I I couldn't imagine having to bring my whole rig. I lied. I did it one time. It was like the second or third time I played Broadway. I brought that rig that's right there behind you, that little oh, yeah. 212 cab. And that whole setup's pretty light, and that's why I took it. But, but it's your tone. Yeah. You're not it, having to use... 
something that's down there to get a tone to emulate yours, it's actually your tone. Yeah. Yeah. But having to. But having to lug it around all the time, I'd understand. Yeah. yeah. And then, it, you know, tear down and set up. Obviously, we only have 30 minutes between each shift. And, and just, if you're doing multiples, running back and forth and, you know, being a bass player, wanting to run with a cabinet and everything. Yeah. That makes it a lot harder. That's why I have the pedal board that I have now because I can still get my tone just run direct exactly. and it's nice and it's it's easy light. So I can't imagine having to bring a whole drum set. Technology like, is it's a pain. Oh <laughs> man, like <sighs> I say that, but I legitimately can't remember the last time I played my kit. You know what, my kit? I have three drum kits. I have a Mapex kit. I have a Gretsch kit, and I have a Ludwig breakbeat kit. And the last time I played one of them was I was on the road with my dad. You know, we mm-hmm. were playing in like somewhere in Illinois. I can't remember the name of the town. McLeansboro, Illinois okay. is where we was playing. So I took the little Ludwig break big kit and played it. That's I a could, fun kit to play. Oh, man, they're great <laughs> kits. They're great sounds. They're amazing. But that's the last time I played my kit. The other two kits are just sitting in a storage unit, just, you know, waiting to be played. But yeah. I don't do enough out of town stuff to even justify having them at the house. Yeah. You know, so I just set them in the storage unit. And whenever I get to break them out and play them, I love it. But if I don't have to bring anything, I'm not going to bring anything. Right. That's fair, man. I mean, I used to love back in the day before I moved here, I, my only amp setup was an 810 Ampeg 810 with a 350 rack on top of it. Just huge. Heavy. Nice. I carried that to everything, including the coffee shops that we played. That thing went <laughs> everywhere with me. And when I moved here, my buddy was like, sell it. You'll never use it. And I was like, no, man, I've had this forever. I love it. It sounds great. He's like, I know I get it. He goes, you'll never use it. Yeah. And I hardly use that little 212 thing right there. I mean, most places I can run direct. I'm using ears. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I need? What do I need an amp for? <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, it's. That's it. Everybody talks bad about the electric kits. Like, if they don't sound good, that's 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 the house's problem. I can't affect that. But all I got to bring is in ears and sticks. Exactly. And that's a great day. That, that's a great thing. You know what? I, I know a lot of drummers refuse to play those electronic oh, I'm kits. I'm not that finicky, cheese. You know, here. Uh, my take on the electronic drum kits: they're great to keep the sound down mm-hmm. and f- to, for a restaurant style setting, which like some of those clubs down there are. Yep. With my personal take on the electronic kits, I'll play them all day long. They may not sound great, but it's four hours. I'm getting paid. Mm-hmm. What does it matter? Right. You know, the only thing that I find uncomfortable is those drum thrones. Those They're drum thrones are the heart. Exactly. They are hard as stone, and you got to sit on it for four hours. It hurts. Other than that, I don't mind playing them. I mean, if you get my, bored my. playing them, reach over, tweak them just a little bit mm-hmm. on there, which you're allowed to do. Tweak them, change what you want them to sound like. Have fun with it, man. Yeah. This is what we're doing. This is not just a job. It's fun. Oh, yeah. Where else can you go in the world and drink and have fun and make music with your friends and just, you know, just have a great time? And this is literally what we would be doing exactly. on Saturday night if we were sitting around at home oh, yeah. anyway. So. Exactly. Yeah, you'd be, be sit- calling your buddies. Dude, come over. Bring your guitar. Let's, Let's just jam. jam. Yeah, that's what I used to do all the time before all moving here. Time. I would have like one show a month if I was lucky and every other weekend... Uh, and it was hell. Usually it was Thursday nights, Saturday nights, and mm-hmm. Sunday nights. 
we were hanging out at somebody's house, usually mine, and we were writing music and playing. And then Friday nights, we'd like go hang out or we'd have shows. But like on the weekends, yeah, we were sitting yeah. at home, just playing, jamming, having a good old time. Oh, yeah. No, Man, I remember the same thing. We just get paid for it. I remember when I was in high school, <laughs> you know, when I first got my first drum kit, sitting at the house, you know, a lot of these guys, a lot of drummers will tell you, oh, I learned playing the metronomes. I learned all the, you know, uh, rudiments and everything that you're supposed to go along with drums. I'm not that guy. I mean, see, you listen, I, did, I did that, but I did it second. See, I didn't. I haven't. <laughs> I've never even done it. I mean, I couldn't sit down and tell you rudiments at all. I mean, I just sit down and I learn from ear. I used to sit with my drum kit, put a set of headphones on, play to the radio, mm-hmm. and if I could get it close, great. And then eventually I'd get it down. It was just one of the things I just keep practicing with it back then. Practice is non-existent now for me. Because either between work and mm-hmm. kids and the wife and everything, where I'm always busy. Right. And any minute where you legitimately don't have something you have to do, you don't want to do anything. Exactly. You want to just, you know, woosah and just forget everything. Yep. Yeah. You, you get know, off stage, it's like, and energy dump now. <laughs> exactly. I mean, when I started playing, you know, my kid at home into the radio, eventually there was a couple of kids in the neighborhood that were friends of mine. One played bass, one played guitar. And we decided to become, I mean, they were into heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Okay. If anybody if anybody knows me that listens to this or anybody that knows me, period, I am a country guy, man. I am like 90s country, 2000s country, 80s, 70s. Anything country I know by heart. They were a metal band. And they're like, come play with us. And I'm like, yeah. And I get out there and I'm like, it's a total different realm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I heard Logan talking on his, you know, how people in there have their lanes of things. Yeah. And metal was not my lane, but I did it and it made me a better player because of it, because I learned to learn metal. I learned country. I went back and listened to classic rock. I'll sit down, man, anybody throws me anything, I'll play anything. But the thing was, like we was talking about going back to jamming with your buddies, that's where it all began for me playing with people. Once I started playing with people, it just became a better scenario. And then I was like, man, this is what I want to do for a living. And that's where I jumped on and just kept going with it. Yeah. That, that's awesome, man. <laughs> Normally, I'm one of those guys, man. I'll never shut up. I so. had a thought, and it, it just... It, I, I, I watched it leave your it head. Did. It just <laughs> left my head completely. I was sitting there watching. It was just like, there it goes. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, no. But, so, um, yeah. when... When you're when you're just listening to music for enjoyment, you're not having to learn anything right. or work on anything. Uh, what's some of the what's some of your favorite artists to listen to? Man, I listen to everything. I listen to I'll listen to Slipknot. I'll listen to Metallica. Um, listen to Three Days Grace. Listen to um, classic country. I mean, it just it depends on my mood, mm-hmm. but like. Normally, my go-tos, when I'm not playing, I'll listen to heavy metal or I'll listen to pop. I mean, I've got, like I said, i got five daughters. Yeah. i got one that's 21, i got one that's 18, one that's 16, and one that's 13. It's amazing, the music that they listen to. And I'm going, man, I'll never like this stuff. I don't know where this stuff came from. And I start listening to it. I'm going, it's actually really good music, you know? <laughs> I mean, and then I become, I become fans of newer mm-hmm. artists like my 16 year old she loves conan gray 
You know, he's a pop artist. He's actually got some really cool tunes. I'm not familiar with him at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the name at all. He's he's bad. got some really cool tunes, man. If you check him out, I mean, and then my 21 year old who's actually sitting in Kyle's living room right now, she is a diehard metal fan. I mean, for Christmas she wanted all the Metallica records on vinyl. So awesome. I went out, I went out and found as many of them as I could. We and, we skipped over Saint Anger, right? Oh no! You know what? Actually, she had, man, I I told her it's amazing. I told her I said Saint Anger was their worst album. She goes, I don't care. I still want it. I'm like, why? I mean, when Robert joined the band, it was they're still a great band. Robert's a great bass player. Oh yeah, it's phenomenal. But to me, there's nobody like Cliff Burton and Jason Newstead. Both of those guys fit that band so well. And Robert having to come in and try to emulate what those guys did, he hasn't had enough time for him to find himself in that band to me. you know. But with these new records coming out and everything they got, I think he's going to be great. you know. But back to the whole Broadway talk. you know, I can, <laughs> well, now, I can, now, I can talk to now, music. Now for I it. remember where my thought was going because I, so, I was just thinking about you playing metal and I was like, I, I can't see it because I do. I know you as a country yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. And you know... I don't want to say every country song out there, but hell, yeah. every country song has been thrown to us. Dude, I can <laughs> fake anything well, and I, act like I know it. Well, that was my you, entire you know career <laughs> before I moved I don't to know if you're faking it or if you know it, but holy shit, man, the way you lead all these songs, just it, and it's so tight and solid. You, you, you know, and again, maybe you're making up the hits and the stops and this and that. And a lot of times, I mean, you'll communicate well, that with us, but Again, well, that's I was the thing. Picture- if it's communicated and everybody does it, who cares? Man, there's yeah, some, oh, there's yeah. some <laughs> stuff that I make up that I feel like it would be like this song would need this. To me, the record's been done. You know, mm-hmm. those guys did the record. Mm-hmm. These people that come out to hear the bars, they don't want to hear the record. If they want to hear the record, they stay at home and listen to the record. Yeah, they want to hear live music, and live music is interpretation. You sit there and you interpret it the way you want to interpret it. Now, when we play with Noah. Um, there's several times that I'll go in there those songs I know and there's a lot of songs that I don't but I'll I'll fake it with the best of them mm-hmm. or that, I'll be like you know me. what let's try this and let's, let's see how this works and you know let's put this let's put a stop that's here and see if this works 60% of the time with Noah I'm just faking it I'm, I'm oh sp- man and especially when you're there and you do know the songs oh my god this is so much easier so I'm just following you oh yeah I mean <laughs> and I heard you know I heard you talking with Logan on his about watching his, you know, listening to his foot, you know, a drummer's foot. Yeah. You know, drummers that do change the pattern, there's a lot of songs that have intricate patterns. Mm-hmm. And a lot of oh, times, yeah. it, and a lot of times in live music, it's simplified just so we can get through it and make it sound good. Mm-hmm. If we tried to make it sound like every record is out there, we'd never do it because it's so intricate. And as much as our brains hold for music, it's, it's unreal. And the more intricate it is, the harder it is keeping time. Oh, yeah. So it's like you get one or the other. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, you can either be dead on with it or you're going to get the timing be right on with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just then you've got guys that are just insane drummers that, you know, like, you know, we got in our drummers community, man, there's the amount of drummers that are in this town that are just amazing players, man. Mm -hmm. And not only just amazing players are amazing guys. You know, we don't. That's the one thing about being a musician down on Broadway. We don't get to talk to a lot of, you know, drummers. We don't get right. to talk. 
you know, like bass players don't get to talk to bass players because they're never on the same gigs. Mm-hmm. So the only time we get to do it is in passing. But there's so many amazing guys, man. Oh, and, yes. I, and it's, you know, we've got that drummer's chat on Facebook, man. And it's so quick to fill gigs Dude, if, by doing that. if you that. don't respond immediately, oh, yeah. g- 15 people have been like, oh, I'm available. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm right downtown. I'm, I'm well, next it, door over. That initially started with, you know, TJ Case and Sam Sherman and myself. And TJ was like, man, I want to do this where we can get keep gigs within mm-hmm. the drumming community and keep it going and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, man, we need to keep this kind of group kind of small. You don't want to get it to be too large because if mm-hmm. you get it too large, then it's going to be like, why not just use Gig Finder, you know? Right. But when he came up with it, I'm like, man, this is just an incredible idea. And there's so many amazing drummers in this group. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys aren't a part of this uh, drummers group that are drummers, contact myself or Bobby or DJ Case or you know just a few guys, man. We'll be happy because this drumming community will welcome people with open arms. And if people need anything, literally, we're there. Anything, like, I mean, yeah, that that was something we talked about with Logan. We talked about with Hayden. We talked about with quite a few of our guests. Like these communities, at least bass and drum communities they're so close they are and, mm-hmm. and welcoming and hey what do you need we can help you out as long as you're not being an asshole like everybody's willing to help you oh yeah and it's, it's since i came to town like i mean every bass player that i met was welcoming they'll give you the shirt out. off their back yeah and, and it's That's, not even just musically like if one of us knows that one of us is having a hard time with something like that's one of the first things that'll pop up like dude's car just broke down is anybody in the area can they give him a ride to exactly work mm-hmm. on tuesday or whatever and we don't or, want nobody to be you know down and out or anything man it's just so and so has been sick could you run him some like soup and milk or something yeah i mean like all that kind of stuff it blows my mind how close that well that's you know we what to me get. that's that's what a lot of people in the working world don't understand about musicians is how tight-knit of a family we are mm-hmm. yeah and it's not just a drummer's community or a bass player's community or a guitar player's community or a vocalist community. We're all in this together. Yep. Yeah. I mean, of course there's little clicks, you know, that everybody falls in their own little clicks and stuff, whether they fall in little clicks or not, when it comes down to the big picture, we're all in this together. We're all there to help I mean, each other. And we're all there to help each other out. We're all there to, for, I mean, that's just what we're there for. Yeah. Music mm-hmm. does more for people than they realize. You know, I could be having, the worst day like prime example today my washing machine went out my brakes mm-hmm. in my car were going out cost me you know quite a bit of money but knowing that i have gigs and knowing that i got work to where i can make up for that and when i sit down behind a drum kit and i play every worry that i have goes out the window yep because for that four hours that we're on stage my mind is just like it's like the matrix i'm plugged in and i'm free Mm -hmm. i'm able to do what i want to do yeah man i i can relate to that completely uh and i think just about most of the musicians can relate to that too i mean it's once we start playing it's everything else is gone oh yeah it'll come back afterwards for sure oh yeah eventually it's gonna hit us back but during that man i mean one you're so focused on something and two it's just that it 
I mean, that's our safe place. Yeah. In music is our safe yeah. place. Like, I, Whether I it's don't on feel stage comfortable or in here. Else. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Studio, stage, my bedroom. If I'm playing music, listening to music, like, it is a safe, safe place for me. And, yeah, it, it, it does. When I start playing, it's just. And I'm pretty sure there are certain songs that touch your soul more than oh, yeah. others. You know? Oh, yeah. It's just, that's there, what music does, man. There's some songs that'll come on, man, and we'll start playing, and I literally, I. I black out for three minutes because I'm so in the music oh, yeah. that I don't realize what happened until it's over. And I'm like, oh. And then damn. you have that little bit of fear, like, crap, I hope I hit the bridge. Did I just <laughs> Did, play straight through? What happened? Man, I don't know how many times that I've played a song and I'm going, we end the song and I'm going, was that it? We, I swear to God, there was another we, we chorus were, coming up. We were playing the other night. I don't remember what song I was playing with my band and we were playing a song and I went straight back into the bridge a second time. And they all looked at me like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, did we already hit that? Because I just, I was in like an autopilot just yep. in my own little world. And it felt like that's grooving. where it should go. Yeah. And I heard, I don't know if I heard like a snare hit. Something in the song directed me to go back to that oh, yeah. bridge. Well, that's And I did. And I'm telling you, they all looked at me like... <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, that happened with me last week with uh, with Noah. I don't remember which song it was, but he was coming out of the guitar solo, and he did the same lick that he does to end the song, and so I ended the song. Oh, <laughs> and then he just stared at me. I was like, oh, well, you played the ending lick, so that's where I went. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, this one, one thing about Noah, I will say, he's one of these artists that whenever you go out there and work with him. He's not afraid to throw an original song at you. Mm-mm. I mean, he's not afraid to throw song. anything. Well, at that's you. true. I, 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 he's like, not afraid to throw anything at you. It's just whatever is on his mind at that. But moment. I love how he does. He goes, "Oh, it's easy," and then you get halfway through, and you're like, "This isn't easy." <laughs> but we just so, try to have fun with what we're doing. He will. He'd be like, "Oh, it's just a one four five, except for the verse, the chorus, the bridge, the intro, and the outro." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's about right, man. It's. It's so weird that there's so many artists down there that, that people want to hear original music. And some of these artists down there, I think, are afraid to want to do their original music. Mm-hmm. You know? Because, well, my band don't know it. Man, if you can get them through it and give them numbers, do it, man. That gets you more known by these people. They'll go look you up. That, yeah, we didn't I, know the last five songs. Exactly. We <laughs> I will say, um, with Todd Cameron, one of the main acts that I play with, uh, he plays a lot of originals um, on Broadway. And I, a few of the bars don't like it. But, man, they come back to the shows. It they helps them. They follow him. They follow the band. Like, that. when we don't do originals, nobody does and I mean, that. like everything else, there's a right so, and a wrong way to exactly, do it. You right. can't do a straight hour of original music right, and yeah. hope to keep a crowd. We, right. We've definitely. But you can sprinkle them in. You know, some of the bars, they don't care. They're like, yeah, play your originals, have fun. Some of the bars are like, hey, uh, only do it if it's a paid request and try to keep it to like one an hour. And so we try to respect that. And I, but to me, that's a little insane, now, man. Because it also is, it also is like Friday and Saturday night shifts. So well, I get that they were wanting to keep the whole party crowd and vibe up. And when you're a bunch of people are listening to a song they don't know, what? But happens if you throw, like, but if you throw an original song in there, in the mix of something between two songs that they do know. So when you've got their attention, you throw your original in in there, and it throws them for a loop, like man, have I heard this song before? And they're paying attention to it and they're thinking about it. And you hit them with another song. Somebody's going to come up and go, 
What was that second song you played? So what ha- what what Todd does, and I, I do think this is pretty smart when it comes to playing the originals and just like trying to like get his songs heard, is we'll do three bangers just back to back. Exactly. We, we open mm-hmm. up the show first three, sometimes four songs, high energy, fun. Everybody's singing along. We have their attention. That fourth or fifth song, we just go straight into one of his originals, which is also high energy along those same levels. Yep. And we play that, and people are still bobbing their heads, singing or trying to sing along like they know the song. And afterwards, he's like, oh, by the way, that was one of ours. If you liked it, follow me. Hit yep, that QR oh, yeah. code. And it, every time, it, clockwork, it, it works. And then it gains 30, your followers. 30, it gains 30 your to 45 minutes later, sometimes sooner. We'll get a request for another original. Hey, we like that one. Play another one. Exactly. And so we we will. Um, Old Red, uh, to my knowledge, from what I've seen, they've been really cool about letting us play the originals. Some of the other bars that we play at, they've literally told me, "Hey, please don't do that." Yeah. So and you know, again, they still uh, let us play there and pay us. So I gotta abide by their rules for the but most once part. Again, yeah. Once but, again, when you come back to that, the energy that you're giving off is the energy that they're giving to you to give back to them. Yeah. So whenever you're playing an original song and that energy is still being reciprocated, man, there's nothing. There's not a feeling like it in the world. Oh, I agree, mm-hmm. man. When when we get to play the originals, even though I didn't write any of those with Todd, to see people jamming out to his stuff and enjoying just enjoying the show and they don't know the song, it's a great feeling. You're like, like, wow, you're here because you just enjoy music, not because you want to hear Wagon Wall or or Luke Bryan's new song or whoever else. Exactly. You're here because you enjoy music. And that's something that I'm one of my biggest fears in this town is like a lot of the bars are getting away from that. They're they're like oh just play country or just do this or no originals and it's oh yeah it's just that same same just um, what's the word I'm looking for just they want that kind of cookie cutter they want everything to be yeah the same cookie cutter so that way they I, can the way I explain it yeah yeah that that's a great way instead of, it. of I mean one I can see their point if they've had like a run of bands that aren't great at gauging the crowd and putting on their show but those bands aren't going to stick around too long anyway yeah i mean it, no they never do the ones that give off the most energy are the ones that most last mm-hmm. you know you've got to be you know in their faces you've got to engage them you've the human mind is visual oh yeah i mean they can they and they listen you know listening hearing and seeing are the two most main components of music and when you're even on Broadway, no matter what you're doing in life, it's got to be visually engaging. And it's got to be, mm-hmm. you know, stimulating for your ears to listen mm-hmm. to. Yep. And I don't know, man. I just I'm one of those guys that I feel like everybody should put off 110 percent of energy every show and just come out balls to the wall. Give them a show. Yep. But also engage them, talk to them. Don't talk at them, talk to them. Yeah. Yes. You know, treat it like it's a one-on-one conversation. Don't treat, you know, say, you know, I've worked with some artists that are like, well, you know, they treat it like it's a Branson show or a Vegas show and they're doing an hour and a half of 
pe- people thinking they want to listen to them talk about their life. Well, in a bar scene, they don't want to do that. They want to be engaged, mm-hmm. but musically. And if right. you talk to them, they feel special. Exactly. And that's yeah. our job is to make people feel special. I was, I was like, actually talking to an artist the other day. I was telling him, I'm like, man, you are a great entertainer. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that happens is there's so much dead time in between songs because you drop from the mic and you're talking to the person face to face. I'm like, you know what? That's great. Bring the mic with you. Talk to them over the mic. They feel even more special. Yeah, because you are now solely giving that one person that attention. Exactly. They're getting all of your attention when... You're the one on stage supposed to be getting the attention, and you're turning around and giving that to that person. And it's still part exactly. of the show because you're on the mic, so it's not dead time. Yeah. It's a part of the performance. It's part, exactly. It's part yeah. of the show. It's part of the performance. I mean, there are some people that are, some of the artists down there that are just incredibly engaging about that kind of stuff. So Bobby has seen this with me numerous times. I do it almost every show. If I see somebody with a sash or a crown or whatever, I don't care oh, yeah. if it's a bachelorette party, your birthday party, divorce party, girls weekend. You're now my target. I'm talking to you. You've got a big sash, something you're here. Oh yeah. We now have a subject matter to talk around. And we're going to build become a story special. around uh-huh. it. Instantly you have <laughs> and become special. When when you ignore those people who say, like, oh, I don't like the woo girls and the bachelorette parties. They're like, guess what? If you get that group of eight to 10 girls to stay for your whole show, it's you've got twenty every, or fifty guys staying right every, behind them. Every time people walk by the window, they're like, "Oh, the bachelorette party, the birthday parties are in there. The parties are in there." Yeah, that's where they're gonna go, hundred percent. And so I, I do it all the time. If I see somebody within the first, I mean, literally within the first fifteen minutes of the show, you're now my subject for the next forty-five minutes. Well, oh, that's, it, that's why comedians do crowd work. Yeah, exactly. That's a hundred percent why that's a thing. Between anywhere on Broadway. If you don't see somebody in a sash or a crown or a button within 15 minutes, you're not on Broadway. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, that's just the deal, man. That's, it's Bachelorette Central now. It is. It is. And but you, like you said, make them feel special. Make mm-hmm. them stay. And the, we, more, the more you sell the bar, the longer they're going to stay. Yeah. And when they're in there and you're, you're trying to make them feel special, they're going to stay. They're going to drink more. And then, then, then they're going to start paying you. Oh, yeah. Then they're going to start tipping you because you've now made their night really special because they just thought they were just going to bar hop around and drink and get drunk and do whatever the bachelorette party things do. But now that all of a sudden they've gotten this attention, mm-hmm. well, they're like, well, why would I go anywhere else? These Exactly. The people on stage are giving me the attention. They know my name. They, they right. they've talked to me about the whole wedding or birthday or whatever this whatever the party is. I mean, why why not do that? And it doesn't have to be even females, even if it's a group of dudes. Yeah. Remember the the mm-hmm. Chad uh, or Chap or what, whatever the dude that yeah. bought my yeah, shirt. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. And I, I wore his back. Those group of like eight guys hung out the whole night, paid us m- so much money. Uh huh. All because a little I, of attention. I gave the dudes some attention. They all had matching shirts, and the dude was like, "Oh, I want to, I want to trade shirts with you." And I was like, "I'll trade shirts with you if I can rip the sleeves off this one." And he was like, "Deal." And we traded shirts, and man, they hung out. I got down, took pictures with them. They were just tipping us left and right. Kyle weren't, ripped the sleeves off, and then ten minutes later, all the guys in the group ripped their sleeves off. Oh, it was man. a thing. They did, they did, because <laughs> I was on stage like wearing a shirt, and I just just ripped them off, and they were like, 
we're doing that. And they all did it. It's a, it's a total different Kyle whenever I see you with sleeves on. You know? <laughs> I'm so used to seeing you without sleeves, no matter what time of year it is. But, so. you know, that's so what I was talking about, the visually stimulating. When you're doing that, you're visually stimulating. You are, you know, intellectually, you know, you're gaining them. You're, you got to pull them in. You're... And you're showing the whole crowd that like you're just there to have fun and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And you're that's what we're supposed to be there for. The whole crowd is seeing that interaction and they're like, two things happen. One, they're like, that might happen to me. Yep. We should stick around. And the other thing, man, this band's a lot of fun. We should stick around. So again, back to if we're having fun, they don't have a choice. Exactly. <laughs> I And I, I have said that... I, I probably shouldn't say it as much as I say it, but I do jokingly say over the microphone, I'll be like, hey, you know, if you guys aren't having fun, that's that's not our fault. We're having fun up here, so you need to be having fun out there with oh, us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and people will hear that, and they're like, oh, shit, yeah, they are having fun up there. Like, let's have fun with them. <laughs> if you're not having fun playing music, you're in the wrong profession. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Go find something that makes you happy. Music is... If you're not having fun doing it, you're doing the wrong thing. I you agree. you make more money when you're having fun mm-hmm. than you don't when you're just sitting there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you've got to be fun. Yep. And like you said, the party, man. That's what the band is. That's what every band is. We're supposed yeah. to be there to party and have fun. Yeah. Whether it's playing Merle Haggard songs or not, you play whatever you play. You're going to gain people. Mm-hmm. You're going to have fun. You're gonna catch an audience that likes what you're doing, and you're gonna keep them. And they keep you keep them. They're gonna tip you. You're gonna make money. They're gonna go home empty. Doesn't matter. Mark Johnson. I don't know if you know Mark or not. I don't. Phenomenal bass player. His saying that he says all the time: "We have all the money in the world. It's just in your wallets." And you know what? That's the truth. Mm-hmm. We won't get the money out of their wallets unless they're having fun. We're having fun. Yep. No, you, you you're completely right. That that. I mean, where's my phone? I gotta write that one down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, before before we came on the air, I was telling them, I'm like, you know, I'm an open book with a few pages torn out, but I'm an open book, which will be on a t-shirt eventually, <laughs> guaranteed. But it's people want to know about everybody. The thing to know about me is, man, I'm. I may look when I'm playing on stage. I'm intense, man. My face stays somber. Somber. I just, it's just energy. I didn't think you liked me for the first like two weeks. I See, that's the thing. You. That's what a lot of people get. They like, look at me. They're like, "Oh my god, he's mean." I'm not, man. I'm probably one of the. I was, you know, I was like, I try uh, to be the nicest like, guy. Uh, in he the probably world. hates my play. I was like, we haven't said but like two words to each other this whole shift. Like, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's how it was with me and you. I thought you hated me for the first like three gigs because you didn't say you didn't look at me. You didn't say a word to me. I was like, crap. He hates. I was me. also <laughs> subbing. Like I was subbing in those gigs, so I was like terrified for myself. I was like. <laughs> I hope this band likes me. I hope I'm not fucking up. Right. <laughs> Man, as far, like intensity, I got intensity all day. But I'm I'm a big old teddy bear, man. I'm one of these you guys. Are. You know, you guys you guys have known me long enough to know it's like I may look like I'm a jerk or this big bad burly guy, you know, but I'm not. I'm just this down to earth guy who gets to do what I love for a living, man. It's just I'm proud to get to do what I do and the people I get to do it with 
you know, too bad, you know, you're a drummer. Otherwise, you know, right? get to do it. I was I was talking to Kyle I, about that earlier. Like, it's not we don't get to hang out and play shows together. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's and you know, Logan and I have talked about that. Like, and and that's why I do love Logan because he actually is one of the bass players that reaches out to me and he's always like, "Hey, man, come hang out, come do this." Like, mm-hmm. he he tries to like be friends with all of the bass players and everybody, all the musicians in town. But he definitely like reaches out to the bass players and stuff so that we do get to see each other and hang out. And every time I see Logan, man, he's coming in, set his gear down somewhere, and I'm playing. And he always looks up and he waves and he smiles Mm -hmm. every time. I remember playing a gig. I've only played one gig with Logan, and I got to work with him. uh, It was out in Lebanon at a place called Jimmy's Sports Bar or something. And he could tell he was nervous because this was about the time he had moved to town. Yeah. And, you know, it was country and rock and all that kind of stuff. And, but he was a great player. It's one of those things you kind of got to like learn. And that for tip for somebody coming to town, don't come here thinking you're going to be the biggest thing. Come here with the, with the knowledge of you're going to learn something. Oh yeah, if you can be comfortable being the worst player on stage, that's what, you will learn so much so fast. If you're if you feel like you're the best player on the stage, you're in the wrong spot. You're in the wrong spot. Cuz if you don't learn something from anybody on that stage, mm-hmm. anytime that you're on a stage, you're wrong. You can't do it right. Cuz man, I I work with I don't so think many I've greats. ever walked on a stage with that feeling that like I'm the best player. Absolutely. I walk I always Every gig, walk on the stage, and I feel that I'm like the worst player. <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna tell you what: you could put me on stage with four guys that just walked off the street from you know anywhere, mm-hmm. and I'm still gonna feel like I'm gonna learn. You know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna learn something. I'm not the best player, but I strive to do what the job calls I'll for. Say you're yeah, pretty damn amazing, my friend. Ah, uh, man, uh, you're too, you're too you kind. Are. I mean, no. I just try to. No, you're you're like, really bro. Good. I, Dude, I used Bobby, to, I love you, but God, I love playing with Tristan. No, I know, <laughs> man. Y'all are too. Y'all are way too kind, man. I I do what I do because I'm providing for a family, and I love it. If I'm sitting behind a drum kit, it's just so much fun, man. It's just, I never know what's going to happen. I'm always learning new things. I mean, I'll play something and go, "Well, that was pretty cool. I'm gonna try that again." And you know, people are just like, "Oh, man, you're the you're great. You're great." I'm, I'm not great. I'm just a drummer, man. I'm just I'm just here at guy doing what I love. And if people like it, great. If they don't, I'm you know, I'm sorry. I'll do the best I can to you know get by with a gig. You know, I've been called for several gigs and stuff that I've done that were not my forte, but I felt like I did good on the gigs. I haven't been called back, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I felt like I did good on the gigs. I mean. When I come into a gig, man, I'm nervous. Every gig, I don't care what gig it is. If I've been doing the gig for two and a half years, I'm nervous every time I step on stage. My anxiety just goes nuts. But once I hit that first note, gone. That's something I always try to explain to people, and I've had this conversation a lot since I've moved here. And um, I think it was recently I was talking to my mom and, and just some other friends and they were like, you know, so how do you feel like when you get on stage now? And I'm like, I'm still nervous as hell. I still have butterflies. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like I'm going to throw up. Like, Don't you just love that feeling though? And then as soon as, as soon as the band starts, it's gone. But don't you it's, love that feeling? That yeah. Is, that is it, like the most, that's the most incredible feeling in the world. It's like skydiving without a parachute. 
and then instantly one appears. You know, you and know, not to divulge too much of my personal life, but like I just went through a breakup last week and literally the next day and the day after that, like I stepped on stage and I was all like in my head and upset and nervous and like, am I going to play okay today? Am I going to be thinking about all this? As soon as we started playing, gone. Mm-hmm. I was fine. I yeah. was I was myself. I was running around stage. I was singing songs. I wasn't forgetting anything. I was me. Yeah. And it it's it's an incredible feeling and I don't know how to explain that to somebody who doesn't do this. Yeah, some of the best shows I've ever played were in the worst points of my life where something had just happened and I was completely shattered and I get on stage and start playing and like everything I play is right it's because your emotions it's so yeah, the emotions that, the emotions that you have in you mm-hmm. are coming out through I, you throughout every inch of your body especially being a drummer every inch of your body man you're moving you're having fun mm-hmm. and but it's just emotion pure emotion last thursday man before the gig you and i were talking bobby and uh, like i I could feel it in my throat and my chest. I was like, man, I didn't think I was going to be able to sing. And I think that was one of like my best singing nights because I was literally letting everything out on stage. Yes, you were, you were locked in. You like, left it all on the table. I, I did. Like, and I, I walked away from that and I was like, holy shit. I can't believe I sang some of those songs the way I did tonight. Like I was hitting notes that I'd never hit before and like just singing with a confidence it's almost a nirvana feeling yeah it's it's a nirvana feeling of just like ah i i literally remember walking back to my car that night going did i really just sing like that like that's a holy crap because like when you're at your lowest point whether it's a breakup or whatever kind of life stuff like you 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 feel like you have no control no confidence in your life because everything is out of control and going wrong but when you're on stage and you're doing what you do, like at that point in time, like that's what you can have confidence in. You know yeah. that you're a drummer or a singer or a guitarist and you get up there and you're going to do your thing and you can do that with confidence. And so it just multiplies because you don't have it anywhere else right now. And, and then being a singing drummer on top of it, you know, yeah, <laughs> you got, those are a different breed if of that guys. Was, if, if, if drumming wasn't enough Look, singing, I have no idea. <laughs> how the hell you guys play drums and sing for those of y'all that do it. Like, and then now we, we've talked about your setup before, how you have everything close. Yeah. So you don't have to move your arms as much whatnot. So like, I, I can see that. So it's, it's, it's easier for you. You're not having to focus so much on your arms and what you're doing. And yes, you've been doing this so long that it is just in the back it's muscle of memory. You're playing. It yeah. is. It's muscle memory, but still like how the hell, like, I that's one thing I struggle with playing bass, like still trying to lock in on some of those songs while singing the melody, but having to keep my fingers locking in with the kick drum. So So what irritates me about that concept is I sing along with songs all the time. I can sing and play, I just can't sing well. (laughs) Oh, I mean just just do it most of us did. Go get less. (laughs) I I, I need to. If I I never I've never taken a singing lesson. I've never taken a you know I take well, I take it back. I've never taken a singing lesson. I've taken a couple of drumming lessons from you know guys that were like my idols. Mm-hmm. And you know when you start a lot of guys, a lot of musicians look up to like Neil Peart 
John Bonham and all those guys. Phenomenal drummers, man. I love their playing, their style of playing and everything. The guys that I look up to are local guys, man. Mm-hmm. Um, or have played on touring acts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the guy that taught me how to play, his name's Jimmy Hyde, man. He used to play for Eddie Rabbit for several years. Nice. And to watch this man play it was just wow. And he just became my idol. And he was friends with my dad, so I've known him. He taught me stuff. And then he had a roommate. His name was Rick Van Aul. Man, he played on the road with Lori Morgan and other people like that. And there was a girl named Dina Johnson. Um, all these people that I got influenced by that helped me become evolved into my style. Mm-hmm. And then the sing, you know, on top of it, I, I never called myself a singer, ever. And I started practicing singing and stuff like that and on karaoke tracks. You know, my father-in-law had a karaoke machine, and I would sit there with it for hours, and I'd be like, just singing into it, it would sound like crap, and then I would just learn from it and go from it. So as far as, like, singing-wise, man, it just it's there. It's in you. It's uh, just, if I you just got to find it. I, it. So I just got to figure out how to do it. <laughs> I, I didn't start singing on Broadway until... Uh, it, the first time I ever sang a song on Broadway, lead, not just harmonies or backup, was New Year's Eve 2020. I had just like gone through my divorce and everything. I was or I was in the middle of that actually, and uh, my so singer, after all the stuff was lifted, yeah, my singer was like, uh, "Hey, I got to take a break. I need you to sing one." And I was like, "I don't sing any lead songs," and she goes, "I thought you did." I was like, no. I was like, what about your guitar player? She goes, the guitar player and drummer don't sing at all. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay. So I was, I had a couple of songs in my pocket that I like just put it around on my acoustic. And I was like, okay, I can, I can get through these. And so we did a couple. And then after that, that's all I did is I just came home and I was like, okay, here's these songs that I think would be easy to sing. Let me find like what key I can sing it in. Because at that point, uh, no, I don't even think I had, no, I didn't even start playing with Noah yet. So it wasn't until I started playing with Noah, probably four or five months later, four months later, um, he would always change these really high songs to low. Yep. And I was like, oh, it can be done. I can sing in this key. (laughs) Holy shit. So that's what I started doing. I would make notes on the songs that he would change to what keys. And I'd be like, let me try this when I get home. And I would, I'd, I'd sit down on my guitar, find it in that key and start singing. I'm like, okay. And then I would make my adjustments where I needed to. Then I went on YouTube, started looking at like vocal warm ups and singing lessons on YouTube. Cause there's a bunch of free lessons oh, on know. YouTube. I've, I've gone through a lot. Cause it, just like every other lesson, they cost money and I'm broke. So, oh. <laughs> so you get like the little, little nugget of information yeah. or the one like vocal exercise. And then and like, after right, that, well, that's all you that after that, it was just, it was, it was focusing on my breathing while singing. And I would just sit either in here in the studio or in my living room with my acoustic and just that's the, the same hard part for me. song. Mm-hmm over and over and over and that's actually the one of the, the two songs i started singing before anything else before i started like adding more on were beard never broke my heart by luke combs which oh, yeah. is actually kind of hard to do and then Folsom prison johnny cash and those two close ranges but at the same time like vocal like ones you're like up there at up there the other one is more or less like talking 
So I learned, I was like, okay, I can, I can go between these two ranges. This is where I fit. And so then I just started trying to find songs that were, that would fall in those ranges. And then I would sit here and learn them and learn them and learn them until somebody needed a break. And then I'm like, okay, now's the time to try this one. Now's the time to try this one. Now's the time to try this one. Or as Bobby has seen on gigs where people are like, Hey, here's $50, play this song. And I'm like, I don't know it, but you gave me 50 bucks. We're going to go through it. Oh yeah, (laughs) man. That's when I, that's what I love about musicians, the way we can do it on the fly, you know, taking and transposing, you know, the chart books and stuff that we get, you know, I know there's people that use the, um, I couldn't transpose for shit when I moved here. Like I, I, I knew basic music theory and stuff, but right. I transposing on the fly, I, I couldn't do it, man. Like it, that freaked me out. And that's actually one of the reasons why I stayed away from Broadway for a while is because I was like, I don't think I could do this on the fly. I don't think I could do it. I don't know how to do this. And then I was introduced to the number system, the national number system and how that works. And then it all started to make sense. And I was that like, national number system is awesome. I, you know, and I've, I've learned that there, there's schools that are like teaching that now. And man, if I would have learned that at a young age, I think I would have like shot way past where I'm at now. <laughs> man, it's, it's so there's, it's so perfect. I mean, it's, it's not just good for stringed instruments or or anybody like that it's amazing for drummers too because to read a bass chart to Mm. read a guitar chart i mean they're they're two totally different styles you know everybody's got their notations and stuff but to sit there it makes it easier we can follow along because we Mm. can hear the changes oh yeah and we can just go okay well we're here you know we can look away for a second and go okay we're i know we're in the second verse and then you hear this change and like okay i know we're here Mm mm-hmm and it's it's great for all musicians and these guys that come to town that'd be the thing that I would say learn make sure you know the Nashville number mm-hmm. system and like and really know it because really, if somebody yeah, exactly. throws Don't, up a number make sure you understand exactly learn learn the, learn the musicians um, sign language I mean yeah. because yeah. so before I moved here Grady Saxman do you know Grady? I don't uh, he, he's a drummer and producer but before I moved here we shortly played together back in Houston and then he moved out here, started doing things. And then when I came to visit, I met up with him on the very last night I was here. And I was like, hey, man, I found a place to live and a job. Like, I'm, I'm moving out here in a couple of months. I was like, what's some information? Like, what do I need to know? And he goes, well, you need to find the, the standards, the Broadway standards set list, and just start learning as many of those songs as you can. And I was like, okay, where do I find that? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> oh. He's like, because at the time that was not like online. There, yeah, there was no there list. Was nothing. Uh, I someone finally found uh, the toots. It was on like Tootsie's website or something. They were like, here, here's yeah. something. At I least for go you. by this. You yeah. Know. So that's where I started. But the other thing he said, he goes, make sure you learn the Nashville number system. And I just cocked my head to the side. I was like, what's that? And he goes. I'll talk to you about it later because it was, it was at his gig. So, and uh, I reached out to him later, and he explained it a little bit to me. But I didn't learn it until I moved here, mm-hmm. and then it was when I was playing with um, Bo Tackett and Philip DeSteiner oh, yeah. and and uh, Capo, all those guys at Legends, and that was the first time that I was like, I had to use it on stage, had to transpose on stage, and thank God for Philip. 
thank God for Philip. Mm-hmm. He he knew my level, he knew my skills, and he knew how uncomfortable I was. So he turned his piano to face me instead of the front. And he faced that way for the first couple of weeks and would throw me numbers and help me out. Not once did he let me fall. And yeah, so learn that Nashville number system because it will yeah. save And that all retorts back to how close of a community we mm-hmm. are. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, and th- and that was the thing. He is such a an established musician. I mean, he plays keys for Blake Shelton. Yeah. And I'm brand new to Broadway. Had only done, you know, a handful of shows on Broadway with a band that I had been playing with for a while. And this is a whole new band besides him and Bo. I didn't know anybody else in the band. I was brand new. I was like, I was nervous as hell and he, he didn't let me fall. He didn't make me feel bad for things. I didn't know after the show, him and Bo were like, Hey man, here's the things you need to work on. I did not think I was going to get called back the next week. And when they called me back, I was like, Holy crap. And every week that, they would compliment me on how, on the things I did better, and then they show me things I need to work on. And after a while, that stopped because they were like, "Hey, all right, you're you're good, man. Like, keep just doing your thing." That's mm-hmm. and that, it's it, a willingness to learn goes so far exactly. with people. I, and, in this and, and I know how easy it is to like get overwhelmed and want to lock up because I am that person. A lot of times when I will get overwhelmed in situations, I will kind of just be like, oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna scooch my way out of this. But well, this like is a something- couple weeks ago when we was playing, I'm not gonna say where or with who, but when songs were just being started and not being told what we were doing, oh yeah, I, I could see. I mean, I seen what you was talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it just happens, man. When you know, when people, artists, if you're listening. Tell us what you're doing before you start doing it. Yeah. Let us know. Don't just and, jump into it. Yeah. Yep. And if you do it in a different key than That's what the important. record is, just tell us. Just hey, in this key, this song. Like I, it's not. It's not. It that takes hard. two seconds. It's not that and hard. Everything is going to be perfect. It's going to be way better than you telling us. Five seconds. You know, we have to guess at what song you're playing. Oh, you'll know what it is. Ah, I don't want to play the guessing game. I want to know what we're doing that way. If if I have to look at a chart, I'm, I've got it. I mean, there there's several times even now Noah will start a song and I won't. He'll play it slightly different or just something I just don't recognize. I'm like, hey, man, what's the song? <laughs> you know, like I'm, well, it, it happened on our Thursday gig last Thursday, I think. Uh, Spencer went into a song and he may have said what it was and I missed it. But I was just tapping the hat, keeping time, trying to figure out what it was, so I knew what to do. Uh, he, so yeah, I remember that he did, he did say it. But you know, they have that switch yep. on the talkback, mm-hmm. and you know, when you're talking and you have your ears in, sometimes you can't tell if it's necessarily coming through the mic. Exactly. If you don't have it up super loud, so you're, you're hearing yourself already. And so he, he thought it was just one you like click on real quick, but it's one you have to hold down. Oh yeah. So he like clicked it on and said something and walked away and I was I caught the song and Bobby I did not Bobby's, so we're going through we're in the first verse and I'm like oh and Kyle's looking at me like what are you doing I was like trying to figure out what I'm doing that's what I'm doing and so I, I noticed that and it happened the, to, the nonverbal communication amongst musicians going uh-huh. like dude what are you doing but I I noticed that and so that happened a few more times after that Spencer would call a song and I went over to Bobby I was like hey this is the one we're doing he's like got it because <laughs> at the Valentine you're in a box yeah oh yeah exactly so like you, you don't know if they don't let you know well i'm glad that johnny cash has got rid of that i mean i know there for a while johnny cash has had that shield and stuff up 
because they have it, like a full cage shield in front of it. Yeah. Oh man, really? They had it there for a long time, and I get it, but it is not. It's the not best. necessary. But I will say this, and I'm not going to call any drummers out or anything like that. I'm just going to say this in general: you don't have to beat them. And I've been attacked. You don't. <laughs> I mean, so no, I who mean, I was no, actually, I, I, I was talking to. God, who was who was I talking to? We were talking about you and your playing. I've gotten better. Um, it might have been me because me and you have talked about Bobby and his playing several times. No, oh that makes no, me uncomfortable. no, no, um, it's been it's all been Caleb, good. Caleb, the sound guy that used to run sound for us. Oh, at, okay, yeah. At Legends, yeah. and now he does the night shifts over at uh, Second Fiddle on the stage. But we were talking. Um, Sunday night at my gig, which was the that was the slowest gig I've ever had here. Oh wow! A rooftop gig with nobody, for, yeah. literally I've nobody. Seen for that. I've, I've seen your post on I Instagram. Was like, I was like, man, this is gonna be gonna be rough. But uh, I, I was talking to Caleb, and actually, he was complimenting uh, like how you hit. He's he's like he's like actually he's like I actually like how Bobby hits. He doesn't hit too hard. It's not crazy. And in my opinion, I don't think you hit the drums that hard. You just definitely the cymbals. So my but, cymbals but, are extremely explosive. So like, well, his cymbals are very they, bright. They are, and A also hit on my cymbols and it, is it doesn't, too much. It does, at legends, it doesn't matter who's playing. That cymbal is right next oh, to my left no, ear. No, you don't have it. It's you. If you'd like, if you'd like you, me to, I could treat you like the heavy metal drummer, heavy metal bass player that I worked with when I was a teenager. I had a twenty-inch china. Yes. That I set up Just, right here on the right side, right above what? the floor, Tom. And for some reason, he was one of the only bass players that liked to set up on the right side of me. And now he has hearing loss in his, in his <laughs> left ear for where I hit that china so many times as I knock all Kyle's stuff off the wall here. No, nah, it's fine. But it uh, that's one thing I say about drummers, man. There's some of them is beat the drums. You know they're sensitive too. It's like any other instrument, man. Mm-hmm. Duh, you can barely hit it. It's gonna make a sound. Mm-hmm. You don't have to come over the top. I mean, I've played several clubs where I've walked in and the heads were brand new. And if I walked in, I come in the next day at the same club at the same time, the heads are all divoted Dance, in yeah. because guys just want a hammer. And, and that- that's great, man. You know, no matter what music you play, how hard you hit, how you know whatever. I can make it look like I'm beating the hell out of it, but I'm not. You know, yeah. I can make it crack. It's just one of those things. It's all technique. But I don't know, man. It's just. I mean, when you I, got guys like Bobby, Bobby, I tell you what, I remember. This is a story about Bobby. I remember oh, the first time I ever <laughs> remember. About Bob. First time I ever remember hearing him play. I went. I was playing at Layla's. This is pre-COVID. I mean, and... So I'm assuming I was playing with Tyler Deaver. You were. You were at second <laughs> fiddle, and um, you were playing She's Not the Cheating Kind. Okay. And I remember playing at Layla's, and, you know, Layla's is one of those clubs where there's not a lot of monitors, so you really can't hear a whole bunch. Yeah. But I remember hearing you guys playing that song, and we I went on break right after that. But the tempo, I was like, I was like, man, that tempo is cooking. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I walked over and I went, you know what? I went listening to it. I was like, and I talked to Jamie Bowles and he goes, yeah, he's new to town. I said, he'll get it. I said, he ain't got no worry about it. I said, he's got the, I said, he's got the stuff to do the gig. 
he'll get it. And I said, it's not one of those things that you just walk in and know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. You know, and, but the first time I heard you play it, I, I knew it was, I mean, it was great playing. It was just the tempo was up there. But come to find out, somebody told me that was the way Tyler wanted it. He mm-hmm. wanted it more up. And I'm like, that makes sense, you know. And then I've heard you play, and I'm like, man, he's just, he's a great player. Yeah. And, you know, call Bobby, guys. Get him, <laughs> give him some work. That's why I have Bobby in my band. <laughs> Bobby's never out, so you don't ever call me. <laughs> but, but, you know. That, that was something I mean, that I had te- to learn, okay. too. Technically, you were called to fill in for me Saturday, but you can't do it. So, Where was that at? Uh, it was with Jesse Rose. Noah said he called you. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm going to so, Florida. I'm leaving yeah. for Florida in the morning. But, I'm, going to, no, I, uh, I'm going to Lake City, Florida, and I'm playing uh, a Civil War reenactment with my dad, man. That's neat. Yeah. I mean, as I was saying earlier, you know, when I was introducing myself, my dad was on the Opry for 38 years. He was on Nashville Now. Several TV shows and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I mean, so, and he's an artist in his own right now. Whenever the Opry um, and him parted ways a couple years ago, he decided he's going to go out and do an artist thing. So, me and him do this thing, and it's uh, me and him and a bass player named Rick Boyer and Mike Baker playing guitar. And we do this thing called it, it's Tim Atwood and, um, oh man, Pink Floyd Kramer. Okay. Is what it is because the stuff that we do is just a variety of music, man. We do mm-hmm. anything from Jimmy Rogers to Joe Cocker. And I mean, it's just a variety of music and it's so much fun to do. So I told you I'd be boring you. I, oh, you're not, not at all. You're not boring <laughs> me at all, man. You're not at all. But man, it's just, it's so cool to do, you know, grow up in the business, see how it's changed, how it's evolved. I've gotten to get into it and do what I do and watch guys come up and try to help as many people as I can. So, so speaking we, of it changing and evolving, so you've been playing Broadway, you said, since you were like 16. Oh, yeah. And you're I started out. Uh, I started out the fiddle and steel guitar bar up in Printer's Alley when I was like okay. 15. Nice. So what year was that when you were 16? Like what? Okay. Now I'm a really good giveaway. Now we have to do math. I, I, I'm, I'm thir- I, I know. I was okay, trying let's to go ahead, let's, let's go ahead and say this. I'm, I'm 39. You said that earlier. Um, I'll, okay. be, I'll, be 40, I'll be 40 in July. So when I was 16, it was 1999. Okay. And so man, I that was playing. the time that they were like talking about tearing down the Ryman and stuff, wasn't it? It was. It was around all that time, but they're not going to do any of that stuff. They would well, never yeah, I know. I mean, they'd never do it because it's an institution. Right. You know? I'm more concerned about him tearing down Broadway. Yeah, but, me too. Um, I'm just talking about at that time. At that, that time, yeah, it was, was like, it was it was that was around that time, and that was whenever everything was between Fourth and Fifth Avenue. Like I said, there were seven clubs. It was the who's who of musicians, and it was one of those things. It was road musicians who came down there to play and keep their chops up, mm-hmm. and they would get people up to sit in, and that's how I learned. Man, I used to go down. I would sit in. You know, it's like being like you guys said on Logan's. It's being seen. Yes. And back then, I was wanting to be seen, and I would go. I would go to every gig my dad ever had. You know, my dad would play on Broadway. He would go down there. I'd go with him. He'd play the Opry. I'd go with him. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be there. I got my. I see how Broadway changed from whenever he was playing down there to when I was playing down there. I took a ten-year hiatus to start a family. And I did day jobs and all that kind of stuff. 
when I came back, I went down there and I was like, wow, what has happened? Because it had moved from Fifth Avenue to the river. And I'm going, this is unreal. I mean, it's just, it's an unreal to see how many stages there are. There's more stages than there are musicians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've, talk, we've talked about it before. At, on a, just a regular day, there's over 100 bands playing at a oh, yes. time. I mean, oh. how many how many stages you, you talked about? It earlier. I think there, I think there was like I think Tom Killen when I was talking today. I think he said he came out there was like two hundred eighty five stages, and it's just unreal how many stages there are down there. That is unreal. But you know what? It's a great platform for people to learn. It's mm-hmm. a great platform to come keep your chops up, get your chops up. Bo Tackett told me this. Broadway is a boot camp for musicians. It is. It is definitely yeah, something that has 100% stuck with me since he has told me that. And I have learned more on Broadway about music and musicianship than I ever would have in any school or any institution. I may not necessarily learn more about music itself, but like all the different types of music that I've learned right. how to play and mm. how to play things and how to play with different musicians. I had never learned that. How to pay attention on stage, how to listen, how to read a crowd. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's amazing what that strip can do for people. Know when to shut your mouth. Exactly. Some people still don't know when to shut their mouths on that strip, unfortunately. Well, I mean, everybody's got their own thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they do. But I will say this that strip has made me so many friends that strip has made me money it's i have gotten to work with some of the best artists i've gotten to do things that i've never got that i've never gotten to do if it wasn't for that strip that if you come to nashville it's definitely a place to visit and come down here and know what we do is not just a hobby it's a job and it's fun and we want to have as much fun as anybody else does mm-hmm. yeah i mean well I'll, i've said that a million times during this but you gotta have fun and listen to other people and just listen to your crowd and just enjoy it because eventually there will come a time that we won't be able to do this and we'll have to do something else and when that comes I want those memories of 100% how much fun I've had, how many yeah. friends I've made. I mean, the the two of you, I mean, prime example, I mean, you guys are great friends and I love working with you, Kyle, and I love hearing you play, man. It's just, I love all the musicians down there, man. There's, we're, we're all, it didn't, this is not an overnight thing. You no. know, we all hone our crafts. Mm-hmm. I respect anybody that holds an instrument, anybody that holds a pair of sticks, anybody that holds a microphone. I respect you because I know how hard you've worked to get to where you're at to do what you do. It's people don't understand that. Yeah, and it's it's crazy for me because when I came here, now there's only one person that like knew where I, what I, my level, what I started at. And that's Andrew Shaver. He was, he's one of my best friends. I moved in with him when I first moved here. We're from the same town. Right. And, um, you know, so he, he knew me when I first came here. The only other person that got to saw that growth was my ex-wife. So 
obviously she's not in my life anymore. So like nobody knows the shit that I had to go through and I had to learn and how many hours I had to log in. Exactly. Sitting in my room, learning song after song, Mm. after song, after song. And so when people come here and you're like, they're like, Oh, you're so talented and this and that. I'm like, I appreciate that. And I'm sure there's a little bit of talent to it, but I was like, I don't think you understand the work I have put in. Yeah. And I've put in more work into music more than anything else in my life, mm-hmm. especially in the last nine, ten years. So you have to put the work in because it's your passion. Yeah. You know, like you're saying, you're doing sixty hours a week of, you know, practicing and stuff like that. Man, when I when I wanted to play, I would come home from school, I would sit behind my drum set, plug in those headphones and play and play until my dad come in and said, Hey, it's time to go to bed. And I did that every day. And I did it day in, day out mm-hmm. until I started gigging, man. And my first gig was with my dad. And it was so cool to know that my first gig was with my dad. I mean, I respect. If anybody gets to work with their family, is just, you know, you know it's amazing. But it's to hone our craft Nobody and in to my see family the, it, plays I'm well, unfortunate <laughs> well the people and the other thing is too is like the people that come downtown they don't you know about the tipping and everything it's they're not just tipping for a song they're tipping for your talents yes yeah. you know the things that you've worked hard for you're finally getting some of back of what you were putting in mm-hmm. I mean this gear's not cheap I mean people don't understand that either I mean oh he's got five basses oh he's got five snare drums or you know i'm sorry well, drum, I, i'm sorry drummers you got 32 snare drums um, <laughs> no i only have five. i only have five i'm conservative when it comes to drums but no uh, i was having a conversation with a guy and we were he was belittling what we do as a job and so i brought up like what is his idea of a respectable career that he would consider a real job right and so he throws out doctor. I was like, well, why is that a real job? Well, because they have to go to school for a long time. Oh, so education determines if it's a real job. We should get paid on education because I have been learning music way longer than he was learning medicine. Exactly. Yeah. So if we're going by that, I should be making I started, a crap I started, ton more. I started learning music when I was 12 years old. That was me. And, you know, and I'm, well, I'm with 35 your, With your dad now. being a player. like Oh, grow, man, growing up. You know you're what? learning it from the second you understand anything. Exactly. You know, growing up, man, with him on the Opry, Opry Lane was there. It was a great theme park. Mm-hmm. So I was like five years old. I was like, oh, I got to go to the Opry. I mean, there's a lot of people who may not understand these names, but Roy Acuff and Minnie Pearl. Mm-hmm. Those guys, that lady and that man were the king and queen of the Opry. Mm-hmm. Growing up there and getting to see them in person, at five years old, you don't understand it. No, but you're when still When I absorbing. turned, oh man, it's just like, oh, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. But when I was old enough to finally understand what my dad did, it made my dad so much cooler. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like, dude, the drummer that was on the Opry with my dad was Buddy Harmon. And if anybody who doesn't know who Buddy Harmon is, play Pretty Woman. That's him. Mm-hmm. He was the house drummer at the Opry. And I didn't know. I had no idea. Until, you know, my dad and I were talking one night. I'm like, man, 
said, Buddy's kind of up there in years. He goes, oh, yeah, but you, the, the amount of records that he's played on? And I'm right. like, really? He goes, yeah. You ever heard Pretty Woman? I'm like, yeah. He goes, that drum intro, that pop, pop, pop. It's like, yeah. He goes, that's him. And I went, wow. And that's the other thing about musicians. We are so humble and respectable about things. We're not going to tell you our accomplishments. Mm-hmm. No. Once you find out and somebody tells you and they're like, oh, man, I didn't know you did this. But you know what? It's still a humbling experience. I was literally about to bring up that very point because my dad has done so much cool stuff that I don't know about. And it's not until like we're in some random conversation and he's a little tipsy and then he'll just like in the middle of a mundane story that doesn't mean anything mention something and I'm like wait a minute we're talking about the wrong thing like we were talking last time I was in Florida to see him and I don't remember what he was talking about but it was he started with yeah I was on the road with Mel Tillis and and I was like wait like we're on the wrong topic here yeah I mean we don't or like he went he went to Canada with George Jones I think and like he got his start doing like the big hotel shows yeah. in Tampa. So when the artists would come in, they'd play with the house band. So everybody in that era that was anybody, dad got to play with. And so he'll randomly drop stories and I'm like Yeah, it's so and it's so cool. I mean, that's one of those things. I mean, like I said, it's one of those things musicians are a humble, mm-hmm. humble breed of people. We're the nicest people you'll ever meet. You get on our bad side, we can be the meanest people you've ever met. <laughs> That's but, the defense, Megan. We learned that because there's a lot of bad people. It's because a lot of us were yeah. nerds when we were growing up. We got right? picked on a lot, so we're we had to develop nerds. this. That's how we got to do this. <laughs> but we're just hum- we're a humble breed, man. And that's one we of those are, things. Man. Like The things that he's done, the things that I've done, I'm so humble that I've gotten to do any of it. One of the coolest experiences, I'm not bragging about this, one of the coolest experiences I've ever had was I got to play the Bridgestone Arena opening for Alan Jackson. And I got to take my daughter with me. Oh, that's And get cool. to, you know, that's she was awesome. she was 15, or I'm sorry. Yeah, she was 15 years old. And I got to, got to take her with me to go to the Alan Jackson tour. And to see her in the audience watching me made me feel so much better because I had that one person that I could focal on. And it was just so cool to hear however many people at that place holds because it was sold out and just them screaming. I was just like, I see why musicians wear in-ears on stage because if they didn't, they couldn't talk to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't. I mean, you wouldn't be able to hear anything. It's unreal. That's probably the coolest thing that I've ever, I mean, yeah, I've, that would and be amazing. playing the Opry, I've played the Opry four times. And that's a cool experience. You know, if if you haven't got to play the Opry and you get the chance to, do it. Because but that's yeah. one of those things that like that's, that's cool a goal. for us. It's a but dream. like to random Joe on the street, it's like, Oh, you played the opera. That's cool. Oh man. To me That's cause a lot of people a lot of the normal people, I don't know how to say it, people that aren't musicians, they don't know. The, it's it's not so easily obtainable to do that. Well, yeah, like, they see people. They're like, oh, there's musicians up there all the time, and the significance. You know, like, they they don't like, realize it's that it's, it's actually it's a, a lot harder to get there yeah. than you think. Yeah, the significance <laughs> to a regular person is high, but the significance to a musician, especially in the country music world, is, is way astronomical. Higher. Oh yeah, it's like Bridgestone or Op- Opry. 
I mean, yeah. Opry. Exactly, man. The, the Bridgestone was twenty. I'll get 000. another chance for Bridgestone. I might not the Opry. Oh, I think Bridgestone's like twenty three thousand people. I'm thinking. I don't know. But I know I do know the Opry is forty four hundred people. Mm-hmm. But to have forty four hundred people in the Opry state, you know, in the Opry house, and the times I got to do it, I, of course, I did have an in. This is not one of those things where yeah. I was actually called to be on a gig, but I was fourteen. And I used to carry this, my stick bag around the Opry. Everybody <laughs> knew me by that. That's awesome. Con- concert capacity is uh, nineteen. Okay, I was four thousand off. Clo- so, close enough. That's I mean, that's a lot. But it's still that's a, a lot, lot of people. Of people. Yeah. But to like, be sold out, nineteen thousand plus people. That's a lot of people, dude. Like I was saying, my dad playing the Opry. I, I had an in, so I got to hang out there and meet people that I, a lot of people don't get to meet. Or we'll never get to meet because they're gone. But I used to walk around there with my stick bag and just pray somebody would let me play for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember one night I was walking through the hallways and Vince Gill was in his dressing room. And me and my Vince and my dad have known each they've known each other for a while. And I'm walking through Vince, he's I'm wanting to be a drummer. He comes running down the hallway and he goes, Hey, my drummer can't make it tonight. Do you want to play for me? I'm 14 years old. And peed a little. I'm like, (laughs) I'm in shock. But I looked at him and I instantly said this. I need to ask my mom first. So I ran and asked my mom if I could play with Vince Gill on the Opry stage. And I got to do it. I got to play two shows with him on the Opry. And then I've gotten to play with some other people. That's on incredible. The I did not know that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. That Man, at 17, I, seven, when I was 17, on the 75th anniversary of the Opry, my mom passed away in August of um, 2000. And October of 2000 was the 75th anniversary, and Garth Brooks was there. Well, the previous year, my mom had asked Garth when he was standing back, hanging out backstage, he goes, you need to let my son play drums for you one night. And the next year, he he knew me, and my brother by name, because every time he was there, we'd walk by, ah, you know, just wave, whatever. Um, and Garth seen me that night, and he stopped me, and he goes, "I told him about my mom and everything," and he goes, "We'll we'll have you play tomorrow night." So on Saturday night at that opera on the seventy fifth anniversary, I got to back Garth Brooks for one song. You talking about Gar- doing all these different artists? That was like. 17 year old me if i went back and seen that again back then i was like oh yeah now i'm going man that was just cool yeah so what you're saying That's, is you're done because there's done. nothing <laughs> above that so well, like, i mean what, what is what else is like literally what what in your like if the equivalent you could get the like pinnacle of your career what would it be because that's amazing pinnacle of my career for me would be to be a session player I mean, that would be my goal because be I would amazing. love to be able to just do recording sessions. Like I said, I love to be creative. I love to be doing things like that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's amazing. And the humbleness of everybody and just, God, I'm I mean, just I'm so proud of, like, all the things that I've done. I'm so proud of all the things all my buddies have done. And mm-hmm. I just, it's amazing. And people who come to Nashville don't realize who's on the stages and what they've done in their mm-hmm. careers. And that's oh, that, what that's, that's what the mystery of the musician and that's what is. I tell everybody is if you are watching a band in Nashville, statistically speaking, one of them is either on the road 
with one of your favorite artists or has been on the yeah. road with or, one of your favorite or artists. Or a session on, player. I'll say, or they've played on Either one of way, your favorite like, songs. Oh, yeah. They are in direct connection to one of your favorite artists. Exactly. Yeah. It's This is the town where dreams can be built if you let them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like and you know, I, I've been so blessed. I've played on stage with a lot of like big time players and, you know, that have been on the road with you name them. They've been on the road with them. And when, when I, I, I usually don't learn that till like halfway through the gig or the end of the gig. And then I'm like, which is good. really nervous. Oh yeah. What you, you <laughs> but know what? The compl- don't tell me who you worked with until after right. we're yeah. done. Yeah. I played AJ's one night and we had a fiddle player come in and whole time I'm thinking, well, this guy's all right. Like nothing blew me away. I was just, oh, he's a good fiddle player. Found out at the end of the night that he played for Carrie Underwood. I was like, Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. Like, thank God he didn't tell me that first because oh, I wouldn't yeah. have played anything right all night. Do you, you, you know Tom Hurst, don't you? Oh yes. Yeah. So like Tom's one of those guys and it wasn't until afterwards I found out who you played with and then we were talking and he was like, Hey man, you're a great player and you got a great feel and an ear. And I'm just looking at him going, me? Hey, what? I'm getting these compliments from you. Like you want to talk about putting me on cloud nine done. Like getting compliments like that from a, from someone like him was Mm -hmm. insane. And no, I, when I first moved to this town, like I've I heard those kind of stories. Of, oh, you know, you'll, you'll play with all kinds of people who've been on these records and with these artists mm-hmm. and so forth. And but I was like, oh yeah, sure, I will. You go into it thinking it's they got to do that. I don't yeah. get to do that. No, I mean it happens all the time, especially summertime, man. When when all gigs are going, every yeah. stage is yeah. loaded, and you're picking up shifts left and right mm-hmm. and working with different people you never played with before. To be put in those situations, like you said, so humbling. Just oh yeah, like, it's it's. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just but no, a like, great like the same, same thing too. Like you see on Facebook, and you're talking to people, and like whatever artist comes into the bar and sets in, and like for the longest time, I was like, man, everybody seems to get to play with somebody super cool, and like it's never happened to me. And it it took like four years, but I was playing Layla's. And Sam Hunt came in. Oh, yeah. And he got and I love this story because I was having an awful night. Like, it was one of those nights where nothing I hit sounded good. My time was all over. It was just a bad night to play. And then they're like, oh, Sam Hunt's going to get up and play a couple. And I'm like, of course he is. Like, this would absolutely happen tonight. <laughs> and so he gets up and he's like, hey, do y'all know Body Like a Back Road? And I was like, yes. And in my ha- head, I said, no, I know how I play body like a back road. I don't know how you play body like a back oh, road. Oh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> like, I, I know how it works on see, Broadway. I haven't had that happen to me yet. I haven't had an artist come up on stage. Super cool playing. night. I was I have it since 2000. I've, I've been in the building on a stage upstairs I've done when an artist has come in and played with the band downstairs. And then we lost our whole crowd. But <laughs> oh yeah, once word get out, there's a sal- mm. once there's artists downtown, you might as well hang it you up. Know what? Everybody's speaking, rushing there. Speaking, I will say this: artists coming downtown. Hey, Morgan Wallen, stop! You're, you're <laughs> yes. taking you're taking my crowd you're every time. You're taking my crowd every time, man. Not just that. Don't be taking gigs from other musicians either, man. Yeah, that's, I, mean, I saw that. That that's not um, that's not cool. You don't come in, take the bar over, and. 
kick all the musicians out. Yeah, give it to your friends. I, I get yeah. two feelings about that. One is, crap, I'm going to have a slow show, and it's going to be hard to get through, and I'm not going to make any money. And two, I want to go, too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was I was playing Tequila Cowboy when Avril was on the roof of Jason Aldean's playing. Man. And I was like, I, can I, please just let me go upstairs for 10 minutes. I'm so, so mad I was playing that night. So mad when I found out she was over there, I was like, "Yo, that's that's my dream girl." Please, right? <laughs> Even if she's not the real Avril, go back and check out past episodes for that conversation. <laughs> man, I tell you what, man, I could sit here and talk to you guys all night long. The hard, this hard would, thing. This would be a twenty-four hour podcast. Dude, this is what I love about the podcast because we don't get a chance to really sit down and talk. No, it's always we don't. Passing and, and that's everybody always asks me before the they gig. come on here. They're like, "Well, what do you want to talk about?" I'm like, "We'll, we'll it figure won't it out." Be it, a problem. I know I rambled talk. a lot, but I'm gonna tell you, man. It's just I don't know. I don't normally talk. I'm one of these guys, man. I keep to myself. I do my thing and just when you know, unless it's like talking wrestling with you on gigs and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> the amount of wrestling friends I have made lately, it makes me so happy. Right. <laughs> Dalton last week. See, I, I didn't know that one either. Yeah, Dalton Black, he's a he's a big wrestling fan, so we, we started talk, we talked about that afterwards and whatnot. Yeah, the second but, we were done, they like jumped into like wrestling conspiracy theories on just, like, just like the you, stories Just go. like you and I did. Oh, we, me and you always yeah, do that. We were, we, were, great. we were talking about the whole Royal Rumble and then who's going to go to WrestleMania and who do we think is going to win the title i mean we, we it's all changed now <laughs> if you guys watch you know it's all changing now <laughs> but I, I i tell you this man i would love to come back and do another Absolutely. one with you guys Absolutely. man and just sit here and talk because it's yeah it's we, great man we would love i mean we I've, ne- I've never like i said i've never done a podcast never don't do a whole lot of stuff but i tell you what i, I just enjoy sitting fun. around talking with friends and you know if you guys enjoy it out there great if you don't uh, kiss my ass um, <laughs> I just I just and just, this is why I love Tristan I mean right? it's just oh. it's just you know music man this is my life I mean it's my besides I this is the order of my life I've got God my wife and my kids and then music all right that's the order it goes in sometimes music comes ahead of my wife and kids because I'm the one that does it makes the makes the money and stuff but I tell you what there is nothing better. There is nothing better than being with friends and talking and playing music and just enjoying each other. I, I agree, man. And I could, I could, like I said, I could sit here and do this all night with you guys. All right, so we have a new thing. Where at the end of the podcast, I ask some random off the wall question. You can ask me anything. Like so, I said, I'm I'm ready for this one. So he he looked at me earlier. He was like. I don't know what random question I'm going to ask him. I was like, you better figure it so out. And, and, and I was question. informed that you are a wealth of useless trivia facts. Oh, my M- God. Music trivia facts. At so, least. what is your favorite super awkward trivia fact that you like to tell people? Man. <laughs> That's... That's really a hard one, man. Because I, I'm useless knowledge. I mean, like when it, when I say useless knowledge, it's like m- movies and music. So and, the reason this came up is earlier today we were talking about um, some days you got to dance. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, it's by the Dixie Chicks. And no, it was like no, it was actually, no, that was, was actually a Keith, Keith Urban, Urban song. Mm-hmm. And so, when he was I with the ranch, was all, yeah, and I, I looked it up and confirmed okay. that earlier. Useless knowledge. Before the Dixie Chicks, 
cut Goodbye Earl. It was actually recorded by guys. It was recorded by Sons of the Desert before they got dropped from MCA. That was one of the songs that they had had cut to release, and the chicks got it because, and they took off with it, and they had a huge hit with it. Yeah, they did. So, and, and we have to play, have it, to play all it all the time. time. <laughs> you know, uh, and there's two songs now that I thought the Dixie Chicks wrote. Nope, no, not man. at all. You know what? Like I said, I love Garth Brooks, but Garth Brooks has made his living off of other people's songs. Mm-hmm. I Elvis mean, Presley. You start thinking Thunder Rolls. Tanya Tucker cut it. Friends in Low Places. Mark Chestnut cut it. Colin Baton Rouge, the Oak Ridge Boys, and Newgrass Revival. So, so when I got to open up and play with Mark Chesnut, that that was when I learned about that. Oh, yeah. We, we sat there and had a conversation about it because I saw it on the set Imagine list. how different that his career would be if he had released Fridge Low Places yeah. instead of Garth. Mm. And I, I asked him about that, and we, we had a conversation, and he was like, yeah. Like, I just didn't release it in time. And I was like, Damn. I mean, it's but just. But then, if you really want to mess up, Garth your mind. was actually, the, but Garth was the actual demo singer on Friends in Low Places, and they told the, they told him if they didn't release it, he'd want it whenever he got his deal with Capital, and he that's what happened. He got his deal with Capital, and he cut it and released it, and it was. But would that song have been as big if it wasn't Garth singing? I think it would have, man, because it's just one of those songs that's got that party vibe, and people were just taken to the song because of what it was saying. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a song that necessarily got as big as because it was the artist. I think that was just one of those songs. No, but songs I'm, I'm saying, like, just, the, I don't yeah. know. In, in my mind, it's like a puzzle. And if all the but pieces you never, don't line up, you never it won't work. It could be the best song in the world, but if the wrong guy's singing it. But you never know. Yeah, and that's the thing. We, we, will, we will never know. We will never know. Oh, trust me. I'll give you guys useless knowledge. <laughs> think, I'll, give you, I'll come up with a bunch of random facts that you guys would love next well, time I come back. We're definitely going to have you back on because I, I want to talk to you more. I would love to do a I, part two. I know. That, part, like, we, did, we didn't even dive into like no. the family stuff and family oh, man. music. Like, like we could talk for days Like on how that. like Jerry Lee was the bass player that kind of gave me a chance when oh, I yeah. came to town. You know, man, I, I didn't know with how. I Jerry Lee Combs with him, with James Carruthers. I mean, I... Yeah, I didn't the know. artists that I've worked with downtown. I was the working with, with I was working road. with you for a year before I knew that you yeah. two were buddies, and I was like, "Holy hell!" You know, and Man. it's just like just the connections and and everything that we all have. With yeah, exactly, other. it's there's everybody's got a connection, mm-hmm. and the main source music. Yep. All right. Well, he asked his question, so I'm going to go ahead and ask mine. Yep. What are your uh, three pieces of advice? You give three quick pieces of advice to people coming to town wanting to move here yeah, i thought that question was going to come up my yeah. my oh, it, piece it comes of, up every 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 episode now all right well my three pieces of advice i would give anybody wanting to come to nashville work broadway work any kind of music scene keep your eyes up and your ears open learn the songs but be variable to change at any moment and also have fun and don't be uptight. Just be loose and have fun. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the that's the three pieces of advice I'd give, man. Just be loose, have fun, eyes up, ears open, all that stuff. Just just have fun with it, man, because that's what it's all about. It's the love. <coughs> Hell yeah, man. That's, that's it's the awesome. love of music, man. It's just that's what binds us all. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've I agree. said many times before. If you're fun and easy to work with, I can get past that you're not the best player. Oh yeah, like yep. you can learn that. You can learn a song. Yep. Like we can get you to that level. Oh yeah. Unless you're not fun and not easy to work with, and then it's a problem. Exactly. 
So, like, for instance, Eric Gannis, mm-hmm. okay, punk rocker, like me, grew up listening to all the rock and the punk rock, and he knows yep. that stuff like the back of his hand. But when he started, when he came in this country band with me, there are a lot of times he was having to pull out his phone and, and listen to songs. And again, we've talked about this. Eric's computer, he's great. Like, he can play a song almost perfectly after he hears it. Yep. But he's just so much fun to be on stage with. That nothing I, else matters. Nothing else mattered no. to me. This kid was always smiling and happy and gave bouncing. everybody a hug when he walked <laughs> the room, bouncing on stage, just saying these stupid jokes into the talk, but just it didn't matter what anybody was feeling, mm-hmm. how he was feeling, he was always in a good mood. Yep. And I was just like, This is a dude I want to share a stage with oh, every yeah. single night. And I did for every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for almost two years, and it was awesome. And I know I've said this before, but he is the guy you want guiding you through a song that you've never heard before because he's going to tell you every detail that you need to know, and you're going to get through it, and everybody's going to be like, dude, that was amazing. And I'm going to be like, yeah, he was. (laughs) (laughs) He told me exactly what to do. (laughs) That's the way it's supposed to be. Well, Tristan, uh, we had a great time in here with you today, man. Thanks for coming out and and sharing your story again. It we'll goes come back by and so dive quick. in more. Yeah, it goes by so quick. So we'll we'll definitely have you back. Um, give everybody your uh, social media information if you got it. Man, all I have is uh, it's Tristan Atwood at Facebook, and then uh, I think it's Atwood Drums. I don't even know, man. I don't I think ever... it was Atwood Tristan on. Instagram. Uh, yeah, it's probably it's probably what it is, man. Because if you know it more than I do, because I'm not really big on social media. I don't do a whole lot of activity. Yeah, but it's Atwood Tristan on Instagram. And then I'm on TikTok and all that kind of stuff. I don't have a lot of videos and stuff. I ain't, I haven't got to trap. I haven't gotten into the quality of learning how to like post videos and all that stuff yet. But I'm going to. I'm I'm just an old school guy. I just love to play. Oh yeah, man. Well, thanks for coming in, and we'll Thank definitely have you back. Make sure you guys follow Bobby at Story of Bob everywhere, yep. and I'm Thirky Base everywhere. Be like me. I follow both of them everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. AMF. Bicycle. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We have a great time putting it on for you, so we really appreciate all of the listens. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, we are on Facebook and Instagram. So if you just search Nashville for Nobody's Podcast, we will pop up, and you can interact with us that way. We also have some more options coming up in the future for interaction, so that'll be a whole lot of fun. So as always, it's never too late to tip your bartender, and please don't forget to tip your band.